0: Warning, what you're about to hear may contain mature language, adult situations, and depictions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. i watched so many movies recently, and uh, I don't know if I like any of them. Like I mean, if that's... you look at my fucking uh, Letterbox, you can see... Yeah.
1: It's uh, it's bleak out there. <laughs> I think I was actually thinking about that recently. Uh, I was just kind of like thinking about like when you when getting into movies, not just like getting into movies like aggressively. Like I'm a movie fan. I want to watch all these different movies. But even when you're a kid, like, you know, the first time you see something like Dark Crystal or Star Wars or whatever, Indiana Jones, whatever, right? And it's these incredible new experiences, you know? I've never seen anything like this because I haven't seen much, you know. And then you know, then later on I'm like, you know, a t- teenager is being like, "Oh, I'm going to watch all these movies from the 70s and all these movies from uh, Japan or Korea and all this stuff and it's it's constantly like this new invigorating experience and then you kind of end up like chasing the dragon. Oh yeah, trying to recreate that thrill. Trying yeah, and it's also like, you know, going back and watching uh, you know like okay i'm going to watch the horror movies from the 80s i haven't seen and it's like you're like oh my god these all suck this is why i haven't seen them yeah
0: you you it, you already heard about the good stuff
1: it's right out, it's like over. you're trying to like trying to find that like lost forgotten gem is like nearly impossible beca- particularly now because everything's available you know to some extent and even when it's good it's like okay it's good but it's like i can see this other movie I watched was riffing off of this movie. So when that seemed like an original thing, when I watched it, this might've been, this might've been the source material, but I've already seen it, you know? So it's, it doesn't have that same invigorating experience of like, Oh, I'm watching something entirely new.
0: No, I think both of those points are right on the money. Although I do think there's lots of opportunity to overlook movies, even though everything is available. Sure. Just absolutely. Because the nature of how, streaming movies are offered because mm-hmm. you could miss something just based on uh, a description or a thumbnail or uh its placement in a menu like there's all kinds of those factors that can like uh, kind of bury a movie
1: but right there's also like but like we said like the way movies are offered sometimes it's not just the thumbnail it's the fact that there's like this huge list of movies and you can put them all in a queue you know so it's like, oh, I'll watch. Oh, I want to see this. I'll throw it in my queue. I want to see this. I'll throw it in my queue. And then 12 hours later, I'm just going to watch something stupid.
0: Yeah, or because, I'm going to watch the thing that I've seen a million times or right. maybe it gets removed. Maybe the license has expired and it's jumped over right. to a different platform.
1: Where yeah, it was before it was kind of like before it was kind of like, oh, well, I, I if I want to watch this, this is my opportunity, so I'm going to watch it now.
0: Yeah, now. I will say, man, that what that One of the big thrills of my childhood was appointment television. Yeah. And maybe it's, you know, less of a thing as you're an adult, but I still think that there's a lot to be said for, you know, even now, like if a new show comes out and a friend of mine is excited to watch it Mm -hmm. and and I'm on board, like say Cobra Kai, yeah, I made one of my friends, I was like, we're only watching two episodes per week and that's it. Yeah. I was like yeah. we're not going to binge this like we're going to make this appointment television yeah. for us and stretch this out because it's going to be a super long gap before the new season drops so like right. why would we want to completely like blow it you know right. in 2 days or something like that Yeah But there's there's like a magic to that like having to wait and then sitting down and mm-hmm. being there when it as it's happening
1: or like even like getting something from the video store it's kind of like
0: Yeah through everything this is right. what I've chosen. I'm taking the the sacred tape home or the yeah, D, you, even the DVD area, right? Taking you it ha- home.
1: Yeah, and you have X amount of days to watch it, yeah. so you have to watch it. It's not like you can just throw it on a shelf and then – I mean that was the whole thing with like – what. Even when Netflix was new and it was just getting the discs, right? It was just like, I uh, just these disks just sit here for three weeks, you know, four months. I never wa- watch them, you know. Yeah. I pay for I pay for the service every month, and it's the same with two movies. I don't get around to watching like, but because but if you had to return them, you would have watched them, you know. See, I loved that about the that early Netflix era
0: because I would do like you start queuing them up, and you're like, oh, yeah. are they coming?" And then right. they get there, and you watch, and it's like, "Ooh, I want to watch this." Because the sooner I send it back, the sooner I'm going to get more movies.
1: Right. Yeah. That's, that's I mean, even that was – even though there was trappings, it was still better than like it just sits in a queue forever until it disappears and you don't even notice that it's gone. Yeah. All right. I'm going to run to the restroom real
0: quick. Oh, yeah. I'm going to keep talking because there's a philosophical poignancy to restraint. And Absolutely. Being, being denied things you can go to the restroom i'm just gonna yeah. keep talking about okay. this there, there's such a poignancy to denying yourself things and that's not to say you need to keep yourself in a perpetual state of suffering you know things become less special and less exciting and unique and deliver all those wonderful neurochemical reactions in your brain if you if you have fun all the time if everything is you know kind of on the same level so By that token, you're streaming these movies and TV shows, and it's just like, oh, yeah, I can do the bare minimum, just, like, click around and find it, and then do-do-do. Now, granted, there are some streaming services where you really have to hunt to find the good stuff and find the the gems and uh, all the great things, but it still is, you know, just one click, and you've got it uh, in an instant, and uh, I don't want to get in too much to being one of those people who you know clamor for the old days brother but there's a lot to be said for friday night at the movies arnold schwarzenegger stars in commando It's uh, network television premiere like that was a big deal and obviously the proliferation of cable television in the late 70s and 80s and on you know made it much easier to watch blockbuster films and but you still had to wait. You had to catch it at the right time. And so if you were working, if you were at school, if you had, you know, sports practice or uh, Dungeons and Dragons or whatever the hell people do, there's still a lot of opportunities to miss out on those things. So now we live in an era where it's impossible to miss anything. Or is it? Because I've found myself in recent years looking back at the... Uh, late 2000s and the early 2010s and finding that I missed out on a lot of movies that came out somehow. And obviously that was the transition from, you know, traditional video rental and purchase to the addition of streaming platforms. But I guess I was just busy doing other things. And it was, it was also a time when I wasn't seeing a lot of new movies. If I was, I was seeing them in the theater or I was, you know, sharing movies that I already loved with people who had never seen them. In fact, the, I think the the late 2000s, I spent a good amount of time just showing people, I think, wrong turn over and over again. And being like, oh, my God, have you seen this movie? Wrong turn? It's fucking unbelievable. Watch this. Which, t- you know, time has shown. It is not really incredible. But, you know, back then it was. It it really had a little juice in that era,
1: the old days, brother. You know, back. When- I mean, I mean, I don't know if this is something you covered in it, but I think that that concept of straight doesn't just apply to how we consume things, you know, uh, but also how we create things. You know, what's one of the biggest uh, complaints about action movies and stuff right now is that they're overblown, because of this concept of like, well, we can just do anything with CGI so it's like throw this in there throw that in there and it just becomes bloated and things lose impact
0: yeah whenever the the notion that when everything is possible nothing is interesting right and it's true
1: it's extremely true I mean how many movies have, I'm just thinking was thinking about how many movies I've seen like action movies where the climax is an impossibly large st- structure that somehow is in the air falling down to, to earth while people fight on said structure, and there's—I've seen multiple movies where this occurs, and it's like, how does this make things more interesting? All I'm doing is thinking about the logistics of how this thing even got up in the air.
0: Well, that sounds like a you problem.
1: It does sound like a <laughs> problem, but you know what I mean? It's just kind of like—I got watch well, that new Black Widow movie, and the climax takes place on this like huge secret military base that floats in the air, and it's falling to Earth, and people are like having fist fights in the air falling while debris for a possibly long period of time and yes i know it's a comic book movie and stuff but it purports itself to be a uh grounded in reality i uh, more i guess more grounded than like yeah if it was more stylized and more like goofy like maybe that would work better and i liked the movie and i'm not necessarily i'm not saying the movie was a shitty movie or anything but it was just what is the phrase? Jumping the shark? Like, I think so many times movies jump the shark these days because pushing for that little bit extra because they can, not because they should.
0: Yeah, man, back in my day, actually not even my day, the day before my day, uh, Bruce Lee fought Chuck Norris, not even at the Roman Coliseum. Mm-hmm. They, he fought Chuck Norris in front of a matte painting of the Roman Coliseum. Mm-hmm. while a kitten watched and reacted accordingly. Mm-hmm. And that's the way we liked it. We didn't yeah. need a bunch of uh crazy set dressing and you know computers telling us what's fun. It was just two men trying to kill each other with martial arts punches in front of a <laughs> a painted photograph. Yeah. <laughs> it looked it mostly looked like the goddamn Coliseum, and that was good enough. I don't know.
1: Well, You know what? Sometimes movies are just...
0: I wonder if anyone came... When Pee-Wee's Big Adventure came out, if anyone was like, what the hell is wrong with modern movies these days? Why has there got to be a Rube Goldberg machine in every frame of a goddamn (laughs) movie to be entertained?
1: I mean, I'm sure there was. (laughs) And I... You know, I mean, like, we're talking about a specific type of movie, obviously. And I think movies kind of ebb and flow. You know, like, certain eras are definitely better, you, you know... Like whether or not like movies were better in the '80s or '90s or 2000s or '60s, I think it's kind of a concept that it's hard to measure and it's so objective. But it's a fruitless I mean, like, conversation as it's well. It's a fruitless conversation, and but I do think there's like okay, maybe at this per- per- was a this period was a golden time for uh, sci-fi movies because it just kind of like hit the zeitgeist in the right way and like you were you had these new like real-world uh, technologies, that, you know. Uh, more fruit for creative ideas, you know, or maybe this was, maybe this period in time was really good for like American dramas. Like that's when they were really doing great stuff, you know, for this period of time. So there's, I think there's good eras for t- types of certain types of cinema, but not necessarily like, well, movies are better now or, or worse now than they used to be or better now than they used to be. You know what I mean? Like what's so funny
0: about like talking about eras too is when you're in the thick of it, rarely are people going, wow, what a great time to be a moviegoer. All these erotic thrillers are coming out. My favorite yeah. type of movie. Everyone's like, wow, this again? We, oh, oh, we already saw this one when it was called Basic Instinct. right?" But then 10 years, 15 years removed, then you look back and you're like, wow, that wave of movies was awesome when it wasn't everything that was being shown in the theater.
1: If you want to see, like, because people, yeah, people have such selective memory of like all the crap that was out. Like, go back and get a VHS tape and watch the previews, you know, from like 20 years ago, 30, 40 years ago, I don't know, however long. And watch the previews before the movie on a VHS tape and it'd be like, you'll be like, what the fuck are all these movies? Like, I don't remember these, never saw them. Totally forgotten.
0: But people, if you bring up the era of movies where a fucking uh, kid got uh, sucked into the Major League Baseball and Mm -hmm. uh, fucked everybody's life up, uh, they'll be like, oh, yeah, I remember all those movies. Exactly. Little Big League and what was the other one? Rookie of the Year. Yeah, Rookie of the Year. Angels in the Outfield.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, this golden era of classic kids in baseball three movies. Yeah, kids right? wearing
0: <laughs> adult baseball uniforms.
1: That's <laughs> three fucking movies, you
0: know. And it's like, <laughs> but people will remember. People like, oh my god, my childhood. Yeah. Like it was yeah. cool, but at the time, everyone was like, well, what the fuck are they doing with baseball movies? What happened to Major League and Bad News Bears and movies like that?
1: I mean, honestly, this conversation we're having right now, like organically kind of fits into the movie we're going to be talking about today. It
0: does? Because I was going to say this has nothing to do with the movie we're talking about today. Well,
1: well the movie we're talking about today kind of puts uh, it's about perception and uh, fantasy and how you romanticize certain concepts and ideas and people in your life. Think about it. What is the movie we're doing today, Keith? Uh, what is this What is this show? What, is, what show do we do uh,
0: it's the Trash Heap Podcast, the show where we're proving once and for all there are no garbage movies, only garbage opinions, I reckon.
1: That's right. That's Keith. I'm Elliot. You know us or you don't. It doesn't matter. Uh, You
0: love us or you hate us, shouts out to Columbus, Ohio, Alaska, the Philippines, all our listeners listening around the world and in the... Mostly
1: the the Western United States. I I, you know there's the people who love us, the people who hate us. I'm more concerned about the people who are indifferent to us. You know, like I have been trying to become indifferent to people for years, and I've been unsuccessful. Not just in this, like in this show. I mean, in life. And people either people either like me or dislike me, and I just want to be indifferent. I don't want to be liked
0: you want people to perceive you as like a houseplant or like a fixture.
1: Yes. Yes, I don't I want I want I want to not be a thought in people's lives.
0: Anonymous. Not yes. Well, there's no better way to be anonymous than publishing content on the internet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
1: So, yeah, this is the trash heap. We give the movies a chance, whatever.
0: Yeah, we do give the movies a chance. Give them a chance. Just watch them. You know, <laughs> Just watch the movie. all these people work, work hard and to put lots of effort to make the movie. So give the movie a chance. Um,
1: <laughs> normally we talk about, we're doing like, we're doing a comedy today.
0: Everyone thinks this is a horror movie podcast and right. that couldn't be further from the truth. I'm yeah, so well, sick we- of hearing that. Maybe it's my fault for designing the logo in such a way that would inspire such things. But guess what? If you listen to the show and you look at the assortment of episodes, it's clearly not a horror podcast.
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, like, this is a show about underrated movies, not underrated horror movies. But I guess we do do a lot of genre films. Oh, yeah,
0: definitely. Horror, uh, sci-fi, action, and, and comedy.
1: Well, yeah, we haven't done enough comedies, I think. And like you were saying that the other day, and a lot of times when we have done comedies, they've been, you know, com- like adjacent to another genre, like horror comedy, action comedy. Well, comedy's
0: um, weird because... Yes,
1: it can exist in any genre. All of the classics, quote unquote,
0: that people kind of cling on to, a lot of them don't age well. And so you give them a second look and it's... It's tough to say. Wow, you should take a look at this movie from the you know 1985. Wow, it's so pro- right. profound, and the comedy is still just as funny today. Like, I don't know. That's in in a lot of ways. That's not.
1: I think it's very difficult for a comedy to be relevant for a long time, uh, much more so than other times. Because what is you know it's like. It comedy is often topical. It's about what's going on in the world in that moment, you know, or it's about what's popular in a culture in that moment. Yeah, so it's they're very for... much a
0: product of its era, like Police Acad, the Police Academy movies, right? It, yeah, you go back and watch that entire series, and uh holy shit, it feels like it's from an alien planet. Still, kind of funny, but for not not the reasons that they intended.
1: Right, exactly. I mean, and like you can, it can be done. There's definitely comedies will hold up but generally it has to do with them either like having just being so incredibly witty that just lines like make you like chuckle regardless of like whether or not they're still culturally culturally relevant or they just transcend any era because it's just about something weird you know like like you brought up Pee Wee's big adventure moments ago i think that's a movie that's still probably as funny today as it was when it came out because it has nothing to do with any particular time period
0: You know, right precisely it exists outside of like the realm of reality while there might be some you know period specific things about it it really is like it lives in its own world same with i would argue like uh Uh, Wes Anderson movies, specifically like Rushmore and uh, The Royal Tenenbaums.
1: Rushmore, for sure, yeah. I
0: think those movies are—they might not be everyone's cup of tea in terms of, you know, tone, but they at least function in a way that they're not beholden to the times that they were made in.
1: No, I think those are comedies, too, of, like, the jokes are about universal feelings, you know? So, therefore— they can transcend like the moment of time. It's like, I'm making a joke about how everyone feels crappy about this, you know, no matter when they were born, Um, which I think are the movie we're doing today kind of does a little bit too. Keith, what is the movie we're doing today?
0: Well, it, uh, it's definitely an overlooked, uh, uh, a gem, a diamond in the rough, and it is Wes Anderson's fight club. (laughs) Ha 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 ha. That's a funny joke. No, it's uh, "Youth in
1: Revolt." Oh, I'm looking at the book. It says 1993. That's
0: not what year did this come out? 2008?
1: It came out in uh, came out in 2010, I believe. It's a whole ass book series. A series? Yeah, the, that actually makes sense.
0: Yeah, it's the fucking uh, the journals of Nick Twisp.
1: That makes a lot more sense, particularly how the movie ends, which we'll get to later. That makes sense. Uh, this is a movie, like, if you want, this stars Michael Sarah and it's, you know, we're talking about movies, I think this movie is relatively well-reviewed, but, like, wasn't, didn't do that well at the box office, it seems to be forgotten. If you want to watch a movie about Michael Cera getting, trying to get laid, and you watch Superbad over this movie, come on. And I'm not saying Superbad's a bad movie, per se, but this is clearly a superior film that nobody fucking watched.
0: Youth and Revolt came out in two thousand nine. It came oh, out one year before Scott Pilgrim versus the World, mm. and it came out just after. Oh, what a fucking okay! Hold on a second. Oh Hold on God. a second. We got to get into Michael Sarah's filmography real quick.
1: Oh, I looked at it extensively before this episode because I was like, oh, I haven't. He seems someone. He's someone who seems omnipresent, but I haven't seen a new movie of, of his for a while.
0: Yeah, he had a real like streak though, because it started out with he was in Confessions of a Dangerous Mind uh, in two thousand two, and then he wouldn't be in another movie again until Superbad and Juno in two thousand seven. But, like, what a fucking, like...
1: Well, he kind of... But he became famous on television, too. You know, like, Arrested Development is where he, like, took off.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. See, I never got into that. So, I, like, that totally... That whole wave just missed me completely.
1: Yeah, so he was on Arrested Development. And then that when that got canceled, like, shortly after that is when he started doing more movies and stuff. And then he hasn't been in a ton of movies recently. I mean, obviously, the past year and a half has disrupted a lot of uh seeing certain people or whatever but i was kind of curious i was like yeah i haven't seen him in much stuff he's doing a lot more like a comedy group stuff like internet internet uh uh stuff he's part of something called like Jash comedy and they make just like internet videos and he also i guess is really big in theater he loves doing theater so he's in a lot of plays and wow. he, uh, i was watching an interview in preparation for this episode watching an interview with him and he was talking about how he enjoys doing it and he goes but the downside is, is like when you're doing a movie it's like I can sometimes could have shot two movies at the same time um but when you're doing a play like you were have it's a time commitment where that is the only thing you can do like you were there and whatnot and he goes so there's the downside of that he goes the plus side of it is if I'm in a ble- bad play only a small handful of people see it versus right. like I'm embarrassed by this movie forever yeah uh, well, so yeah, he did he, do a lot of TV. Yeah, he, yes, and he's he's done like and he was he was on the like the Wet Hot Americans uh, summer like uh, revival series that was on Netflix, uh, where it was like the prequel series, and he's been doing a lot more behind the camera stuff as well. It seems so he has an active career. That's why I'm saying like it seems like he's omnipresent, even though we haven't seen him in that many new movies as of late.
0: Yeah, I can see why Youth and Revolt didn't really do so hot though because it came out on the heels of year one yes which was a uh, by all accounts uh, a massive flop yeah you know everyone what?
1: involved okay here's what i'm gonna say about that have you seen that movie Keith? i have
0: not i typically don't watch a movie about crow magnum yeah
1: people i've i watched that movie when it came out uh around the time when it came out. I was like, why do people hate this movie so much? And then I watched, and then like uh, several years later, I watched it again just to be like, was I the crazy one? And I watched it again and it's like, is it a great movie? No, like it is not, that, it's not bad. And there are a few really funny parts in it. So I don't really get the, the overall hatred but of that movie. Just largely unremarkable. Yeah, I guess so. I mean like there's a, there's a few parts why I laughed really hard. And the I find it's just kind of like an, you know, an easily enjoyable movie. So I don't really understand why people hate it so much, but they do. And like, whatever, who cares?
0: Yeah, I feel like a handful of sort of cave people movies came out around that time. That could be it. Yeah, and maybe people just were they didn't want to hear about it.
1: I mean the the extent to to which like average consumers, and not just like film, but of anything like mistake one thing for another you know like i feel like sometimes people are talking about one movie and they don't they're actually talking about a completely different movie sometimes
0: oh yeah definitely
1: like i've talked to like people and they're like you know that movie that's got like and they basically what they're describing is an amalgamation of three movies like it's got this guy in it and this happens and i'm like you're talking about this movie that doesn't star this person this other movie that's similar has them in it. And then you have a completely third movie plot bits from a completely third movie, just like crammed in there. Like my dad, like talking to my dad, he always talks about his favorite, uh, uh Marx Brothers movie, which is literally just the b- best scenes of every Marx Brothers movie <laughs> combined from his childhood. And that's how he remembers it. He's like, he's like, Wow, oh, I'm trying to remember the name of the movie. It's like, they, they, they're at a racetrack. And then he goes like, but then they up going to start going to war, and they have this thing like to war, to war, and then they like own a hotel in Casablanca. I'm like, that yeah, that's like five different movies. You're talking about du- like a day at the races, Duck Soup, a night in Casablanca, all this other stuff. And he's like, no, 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 it's it's one movie. And I'm like, no, it is not.
0: Well, in his defense, those weren't so much movies as they were just uh, like a loose collection of you know comedy setups. Absolutely, so I can see why it would run together. But that happened to uh, that happened to us talking about. I think I was talking about. At least I was trying to talk about Air Force One, mm-hmm. but it turns out
1: you were talking about Cider House Rules.
0: Yeah, Winter's Bone. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what's that other? Oh, see, I'm I'm about to do it right now because oh there's there's Air Force is Air Force. Are you talking One? about
1: Con Con Air? Is that what you're no, to think of? no, 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 no.
0: Does Air Force One have uh, Gary Oldman as the villain? Yes. Oh, okay, so that is the one. But then there's also Executive Decision. Right, yes. Uh-huh. But then there's also... Turbulence. No, Under Siege 2. That's on a train. Dark Territory.
1: That's on a train, though, not an airport. I know,
0: but somehow I got that mixed in.
1: Oh, probably because uh, Steven Seagal is in the very beginning of undersea- or uh, Executive Decision. Yes. Which is very odd for very... For so many reasons, because at that point in his career, he was like the type of guy like, I have to be the star, right? And, no, and, and he was
0: in the trailer,
1: right? He was in the trailer. They, they
0: were definitely leveraging the marketing off of his
1: appearance. he That's not the type of action movie he's in. I mean, like, in some respect, it's like he goes so against what he normally does. Like, he also, like, dies in the beginning of the movie, and... Like this is the guy who refuses to let people punch him.
0: Yeah, I wonder if it was like he like split from the production or got fired or something, and then they just were like, Well, we're gonna fucking
1: I don't know. Have you, you heard Have you ever heard like John Linquenzama's story about I think it's John Lingwizama, he's in that movie, right? Yes. Yeah. His story about like Stephen Seagal shows up and goes like, Okay, guys, here's how it things, how it is. I run the show, I'm the boss. He's like cause he's playing the like the military like squad leader and he's like but he's acting as if he's an actual military squad leader he's like i say jump you say hi how high and john Linguizamo just starts laughing at him and he kicked john Linguizamo in the chest and john Linguizamo almost quit the movie and then they guess they were just like oh don't worry he's gonna die soon like he's only gonna be on set for a few days or, or something his
0: career and his like whole persona is just like fascinating like if we if we come to find out that he has a brain tumor or like something like that like it would not be a shock at all
1: anyway we're not here to talk about the the no those are a lot of fun tangents thank you michael (laughs) sarah
0: for setting off that (laughs) yeah absolute uh was a real money train of
1: this yeah this is a movie it's one of them coming of age stories about like some young boy You know, little loser, can't get the girls, blah, 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 blah. Not even
0: a loser, though. Like, he's in that position where he is, for a young person, he is well-read and has a high IQ, but not the confidence to match it. And all the adults around him, or at least as he perceives, are, uh, you know, ineffectual losers who don't have their lives together.
1: Right, and one thing I love about this movie is it kind of takes that traditional setup and it flips the script on it in a lot of ways. Just as you said, he like he's not actually a loser. He's like he gets into some outlandish, hyper exaggerated scenarios, but him as a character, like as Corbin, is much more based, I think, in reality of just his personality than a lot of these movies are. Like particularly like a lot of the other kids too. Like his object of affection, affection, like the arty kids are legitimately pretentious in this you know they're oh, not like oh yeah
0: to an absurd degree
1: that's they're not they're not the cool kids are not actually cool it's like what kids think are cool when they're kids you know yeah
0: because they don't know
1: any better and the adults are 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 lame the way adults actually are like i said like we do get into some like hyperbole type scenarios but it's fairly based on like more grounded, realistic characters who then... I mean, I don't even want to say, like, realistic characters, but there's something a little bit more authentic about them than your normal movie archetypes.
0: Oh, no, the the white trash mom who, with the string of failed relationships uh, that are, you know, kind of destructive, but it's the only thing she has going for, her. like, I mean, that's yeah. real. Well, that's 100% real. Um, that's not... I wouldn't even call that a stereo. It, it's exaggerated, but it's definitely not a stereotype because it's that's just a reality.
1: Yeah, I guess that is exaggerated. I've, I've are...
0: been a stepdad at least five times over to a, a young boy exactly like uh, our friend Nick Twisp here.
1: Oh, uh, I, I wasn't kid. aware.
0: And then the you know Nick's Nick's. Uh, I wouldn't call him an estranged father, but.
1: Just like a crappy father, yeah, his, I mean, he's not, his and not father
0: like, played by Steve Buscemi, who's sort of going through a midlife crisis.
1: He's an incompetent father, is what he yeah. is. He's not he's not he's not ne- inherently ne- intentionally neglectful. He's not he's not an asshole. He's just shit like a, an average shitty incompetent dude.
0: Yeah, and he's a divorcee going through a midlife crisis, dating right. a younger woman.
1: Yeah, and what what? So yeah, it's basically the scenario. This kid has he has trouble relating to people blah 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 uh because he likes arty things he meets a girl that he's really into but there, there's all these uh roadblocks between them um and he develops a persona an alter ego to help him achieve his goals and i think that's one of the things where this really sets this movie about apart is And besides all the other things we just said, is the creation of this alter ego named Francois Dillinger is, one, he's hilarious. Two, it is unique because normally it would be like, I don't know, like he would just change his persona. Like he would would be like Nick Twist would be like, I'm going to be a bad boy now.
0: Oh, yeah. There's so many movies of the 80s and 90s where... Uh, the nice guy character becomes a badass and like slicks back his hair and starts right. wearing a leather jacket and everyone's like, whoa, you're so different now.
1: Right. Or like um, there's like an, a real person. He makes a friend at school who's the real person influencing him and teaching him how to be cool. Yes. This creates a very like unique inner conflict between them where he's like he's just having this like outward projection of this character and the way they interact it's kind of like they argue about stuff you yeah, know yeah,
0: it's way more entertaining than like it's like i'd made the joke about fight club but it is very very similar in execution very similar yeah where uh essentially his his coping mechanism like manifests itself visually for us right um and he's interacting with it but it's not there all the time and so you understand no. the distinction that uh aside from a couple of scenes later on you know that this is not, it's not a real person and so you're not questioning it it's and, not and, trying to trick you and in, it's in he's not
1: way. and he's not crazy he like he's aware no. he's aware of this and I, but but there's still but even so that that adds a lot of comedy in the sense like okay we know that he knows that his alter ego is fake that he purposely created it, yet he's having conversations with it, and is often surprised by the actions of his alter ego, even though it's him doing it. Right. You
0: know? Well, and I love that as a like as a visual because when Francois yes. comes and starts initiating some kind of mayhem, he's sort of sitting there watching with his jaw on the floor, and that's like right. that's such a good visual representation of someone who is. Um, like watching themselves right. uh, from a third person perspective. I right? mean, we will talk about that. Like, right. "Oh, I was, you know, I watched myself do this thing and I couldn't believe I did it. And like, we get to see that.
1: We all have had those moments. Where like we're in the moment of doing something like, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Just stop doing it. Just stop doing it. Like if yeah. you stop doing it, everything will be better, but you just keep doing it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I think too, not only is it like narratively, uh, a good choice it really you know this is around a time where i think we as we just mentioned michael Sarah became popular on arrested development and then he but then he started branching out the movies and he's playing these very kind of like similar characters over and over and over again and this was a movie where we get to see that he's not like this kind of like one note guy who just plays like this like i don't know like hip hipster wimp nerd you know, and you get to see the range of, of his abilities in this. Where he's a, a very good actor, and the way he plays Francois Dillinger is perfect. I mean, it is. It's not. Oh, it's not entirely over the top, which I think a lot of actors would have gone and done, and like it would have been like, like so taken to such an extreme that it would have lost any of its credibility you know you know what i mean
0: yeah and it's not so outlandish that it doesn't seem like a natural progression of the actual nick character right it's like right. it's like two or three steps up from who he is but it's not this like just absurd cartoon character
1: right it's, he's not dressed
0: it's, like outlandishly. He's not like wearing like a monocle and a top hat or like, right. you know, he wearing has a, a mustache, but he's not twirling it.
1: And one thing, I you know, another thing about like one, this movie, it, it one has a great cast. Like everyone in the movie is good. And it has, I mean, who's all in this? D. Fusemi, Ray Liotta, Zach Galifianakis, M. Emmett Walsh, uh, yeah, MM Walsh just showing up for no reason and like doing mushrooms. <laughs> yeah. Uh Fred Fred uh Fred Willard, Justin Long, Rooney fucking Mara shows. I didn't even remember that she was in the movie. Where is she? She's uh when when they go to the like the all like the Catholic no, not the Catholic school, the uh well, I guess it is a Catholic school. The Catholic French school. Sheenie like uh, uh Nick Twist's love interests roommate. There is so much in this movie, like little, little lines that are like perhaps throwaway lines, but are really clever or well-written. Like every time I pick up on a little joke that I missed the last time.
0: Oh, one of my favorites is, uh, uh, after Nick meets Sheenie, the love interest, he keeps trying to find reasons to spend time with her. And he's like, Hey, I was just in the neighborhood. Do you want to go for a walk? And she's like, Oh, actually, uh, I was going to go on a hike." Uh, I'd invite you, but it doesn't like look like you, um, you know, you have any, you know, survival gear, or provisions, or blah blah blah. She says a bunch of stuff, and he, his response, mm-hmm. he says, "I do all my hiking freeform, like John Muir. Yes. I enter the wilderness with nothing more than my journal and a childlike sense of wonder." Mm-hmm. And then the next scene, he's struggling up the hill in his fucking,
1: you know, plain sneakers and carrying his stupid notebook <laughs> i mean just leave that line line i do all my hiking free form <laughs> like that in and of itself and this movie is filled with lines like that a lot of times the lines are things that like shouldn't even be funny but they are no and that's what's great about the character
0: is he's supposed to be this you know he's smarter than everyone with like this you know superior superiority complex But then, you know, he proves himself to be sort of a bumbling idiot in in so many ways. In certain ways. ways. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, that's one of the things I wrote down about this movie is, and I I think there's another thing that, like, kind of sets this movie apart, is Nick is a schmuck, right? Ultimately, like, he's a schmuck, but it's like, okay, you're also a kid. Like, he does a lot of, like, really shady, underhanded, lousy things. And not just the stuff where he's like, oh, I'm going to crash my, you know mom's car to get, in, you know, to purposely get in trouble to achieve some goal. Like he does min- highly manipulative things to Sheenie, but you know what else? Everyone in this movie is, is also a schmuck, you know, to a, to a various degree, including Sheenie, you know, like she's not a completely like innocent, um, bystander in, in, in everything. And it's like it does. That's another thing that feels kind of authentic. Like everyone's just kind of crappy. Like you can still elicit sympathy um, to 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 Nick because he's surrounded by people who are as shitty or shittier than him at times. You know, but like some of the things he does are like really bad. Yeah, he really
0: reveals himself like later on and shows like his capacity for evil Mm -hmm. and like even just aggression. Like when he shows up at the school. Uh, just, just pissed off and not tolerating everyone only speaking French, right? Uh, because they're supposed to. Uh, he really just turns into like the biggest asshole, mm-hmm. and like with a, uh, you know, all the people that he terrorize him as bullies, like he becomes like exactly like them, and has some great lines too.
1: Well, also think about like some of the things like what would, in a more typical movie like this, like. He would just be like the really nice guy. And then maybe he like lies to Sheeny to like try to impress her. And then she finds out, you lied to me. And then he goes later, it's like, I did. But I, I did it because, you know, I wanted to impress you and blah, 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 blah. And she's like, oh, you're really sweet. What does he do in this movie? He convinces someone else to slip sleeping pills into her co- coffee. So she falls asleep in, in class. So she gets expelled from school. So she has to move closer to him. That's what he does, you know, and it takes it to a more, to a higher level than like the sh- normal schmaltzy like, mm, I'm a bad guy, but I'm also the good guy. You yeah, know? his first
0: opportunity to start talking shit and spreading rumors about someone he's never met, he comes oh up God. with some like, some real vicious, like, dark stuff.
1: Right. And partially it's under the guise of, you know, like by, I think by setting up the the Francois Dillinger alter ego, I think that also makes it easier for him to still be like a relatable character because it's kind of like, it's this, it's somewhat separated.
0: Well, exactly. And that's just like a, a, a way to illustrate like, oh, here's how he's able to do these things, like without harboring any guilt. Or right. self loathing, right? If he he crafts this alternate identity, he can, you know, that's his scapegoat.
1: Right. And ultimately, what is the final kind of like realization of him is he rebels, he rebels, eventually rebels against Francois Dillinger in, in a sense. And it's like all about like, oh, all I had to be, like, I don't have to be a fake person. I don't have to be this. I just have to be me, which is, you know, I think the end, that's the very end. And I think it's a little too storybook. But now that you say that it's part of a book series, I can see how that might bleed into something in, in, a, in, a, in a future installment.
0: Did you also uh, finish watching the credits?
1: You know, I don't think I've ever watched it all the way. To, is there like an end credit scene? Yeah, there's
0: like a whole animated sequence of him in prison.
1: Oh, my God. I've never – no, I've <laughs> never watched that. I feel, like I said, I've seen this movie like three or four times.
0: I wondered about that because I was like, oh, this is crazy. Yeah, so you definitely have to watch it. But you're right. Like, I, I think it does, actually. I think it was, they were ready to go on with more adventures mm-hmm. of Nick Twisp uh, and sort of left it open for the possibility of sequels.
1: Yeah, I I, I appreciate that these aspects of it because it's in so many of these movies where it's like, it's smalty to a point where it's kind of like, no, everyone, like, they treat assholes as sweet people. You know, like doing these highly manipulated, manipulative things. But it's, but it's, oh, it's like, but it's romantic in the end, you know? And it's, and I guess that happens in this movie too, but it's, it's more of a, it just seems more like delusional, you know, rather than uh, in the characters parts than it does in like the audience part.
0: Yeah. I think as in terms of like considering the movies that came before this, but sort of, set the tone for the the genre and, like, the delivery, right? Like, all those mumblecore, like, Noah Baumbach movies, like The Squid and the Whale, where Mm -hmm. every character is just an outright piece of shit and you don't root for anybody. Mm -hmm. And then even later on, like, Napoleon Dynamite, where the characters don't even seem like real people. They just seem like walking gags. Right. Uh, I I feel like this movie lands in a much better territory where it is, like, a, a more reasonable mix of like real characters with flaws, but then also, you know, they're doing funny things and, you know, they, they also have some, something worth rooting for, you know, it's not just like they're there, there is, you know, decoration.
1: I think you're right on the money that, in that it kind of takes like, it looks at all these things that came before it. And I was like, well, I'm going to take the best pieces. Yeah. Of each of those. And like, this worked here, but this other part didn't work. Like, like, oh, maybe this is a funny, like, yeah, there's, I would, I would not even have thought of comparing this movie to Napoleon Dynamite prior to this, but there are traces of types of comedy in it that kind of cross over, but it's like literally the the parts that work and none of the stuff that doesn't, you know? Yeah.
0: And I think even if it wasn't directly influenced like that, it just has a lot in common with it. And same with like, uh. Uh, eagle versus shark and even greenberg which i think greenberg might have come out after it but mm-hmm. it's all like i think that's a noah baumbach it is movie. yeah uh, but it, yeah it all has like it's all from that pool of ideas and and style but it yeah it just has like an extra layer of charm to it that makes it way more enjoyable and entertaining mm-hmm. oh, and it t- is what? it does have a surprising cast yeah like that was one of the things i first noticed was I was like, look at all these actors. Mm-hmm. Like these aren't just like like indie movie nobodies. Like these are like you know real performers, and in a lot of ways, like they don't. They're only you know working at like half speed. Like Ray yeah. Liotta, like he's barely doing anything here. <laughs> right. In yeah. fact, he might be the most useless. At least like M M at Walsh gets to make a funny face, and uh, Steve Buscemi gets to kick the window of a BMW, and. You know, a lot of the other actors, Zach Galifianakis has some pretty great, uh, pretty great moments before leaving
1: about halfway through the movie. I mean, but also Ray Liotta in a way, even though you said like he's working at half speed, is ki- he, him and his performance is kind of perfect for this role and the tone of the movie because he's playing like, he's playing a sh- like an asshole cop who starts dating Nick's mom. And we're so used to these, ex- Ray Liotta playing these extreme, intense characters yeah. and he comes in kind of half-assed about the whole thing and it's like, well, that's the character. Just kind of like this like boring, generic kind of shitty dude who thinks he's the boss of everyone. But he's and also he's-
0: not like... He's not doesn't really like fly into a rage. He gets aggravated and mad, but not like yeah. He doesn't blow up. He doesn't like point a gun at anybody.
1: Yeah, he's too lazy to get that mad. You yeah. know what I mean? Like that's the thing. It's like everything about his life, about this character, is just kind of like half-assed. I wonder but, if that was but part but of, but loves himself and thinks he's an uh, he thinks he's a badass. I wonder if that was part of the joke though, like because
0: you know. Ray Liotta has that famous line in Goodfellas where he's like, never rat on your friends. Yeah. And then, you know, he comes into this movie and just immediately rats on uh, Michael Sarah's character to all right. of his police buddies.
1: Yeah. Well, I think, too, it's like, I think 100%. I wouldn't want to call it stunt casting, but there was, I think with some of the casting, there is casting against expectations, you know? Yeah. Uh, even with like Zach Galifianakis, who plays... Kind of, he often plays a schmuck, but he plays a different type of schmuck. Usually, he plays like a weird, awkward, eccentric schmuck. And this one, he plays just kind of like shitty guy you meet at the bar, you know, schmuck. Like he's playing a very normal dude.
0: Yeah, the type of guy who thinks he's making good decisions, but right, he he can't stop making the worst decisions of all time. Actually, right. that subplot with the the navy guys, yeah, I. It's one of my favorite parts of the movie. Like, that that car gag is so... It was all, almost telegraphed, but at the same time, when they do it and the characters are just kind of taught... Their reactions to it are just, like, mm-hmm. right on the money. It's so good.
1: Well, there's lots of jokes, I like I said earlier, that shouldn't work or shouldn't be as funny as they are, but they are. Like, movies, jokes or visual gags that in a lesser movie would seem lame. Like, there's a... Like there's a, there's that uh there's towards the end of the movie there's like a audit, audit like an audit audio gag where it's like you hear this organ music playing <laughs> yeah. right at <I> like this <laughs> dramatic part and then it cuts over to uh mom high on mushrooms just playing the organ. Like that's a pretty cheap joke, but it's hilarious it's fun. in this movie and it's fun, you know, like uh you I you, we talked about it earlier like just when texting back and forth but like the joke where he goes, it would take an army of mechanics to do this. And he goes, or a Navy. <laughs> yeah. Specifically referring to the Navy guys. Like, that's another incredibly cheap joke. But in the context of everything, it's hilarious. Yeah,
0: when she delivers the line, it would take an army. Uh. Th- th- she pauses. I immediately, like clocked into it like i was right there with them and yeah as soon as zach galifianakis started delivering that line i said it along with him because i was like i know what's coming and this is great mm-hmm.
1: and it, it, it and they don't linger on the stuff like there's that i mean with it would be a long explanation to, to explain why fred willard and uh, michael Sarah end up in their underwear you know like old man young man walking around town in their underwear but when they get like when they waltz into, uh, they get home and Steve Buscemi is there as the dad, And He goes like, "Oh, look who I found! Can he spend the night?" And he's he like, "Why are you in your underwear?" And it just seems just, just ends. Yeah, just cuts from the a, a a lesser movie would have lingered on that joke and tried to milk it for more. You know. Yeah, and just the confidence, just to be like, "Nope, this is good." Like, cut, stop here and move move on. You know. You know. Also, like we're talking about schmucks. Oddly enough, as a character, Francois Dillinger is one of the most likable because he's honest and straightforward about who he is. You know, he's the only character who is not a liar, who's not uh pretend I mean obviously he's a figment of imagination, so therefore it's one someone else pretending to be him, but since we have the separation of these two acting as like almost two separate people, he's the only one who just does what he does without a pretense of something else behind it. Oh, sorry. What did you say? <laughs> <laughs> nothing. <laughs> I said
0: absolutely nothing. <laughs> I was reading this, some of the quotes, and one of them is, Nick, why are you naked too? And he replies, Solidarity? <laughs> yeah. Wh- what scene was that?
1: <laughs> That's okay. So remember, like, they get kicked out of... uh the Catholic school that they snuck into to meet their like uh, girlfriends and then they get chased out and they're naked or they're just in their underwear. Oh, right. Because he says
0: VJ is like, uh,
1: right. So like their car breaks down they call like his old neighbor who is like some like old hippie, that's Fred Willard. And says like, Oh, I was trying to smuggle, uh, a refugee through uh, across the border. And we, 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 uh, our car broke down. Can you come help us? Yeah. and uh, he goes, like, what? He goes, like, they like, and he said, that, like, the, like the, the border patrol took his clothes, and that's why he's naked. And then he asked Nick, he's like, well, why are you naked too? And he goes, solidarity. Yeah. And then Fred, that's why Fred Willard ended up taking off his clothes. And then there's the next shot is just a visual gag of them all riding in the front seat of a car, <laughs> <laughs> like of a truck, all like in their underwear, <laughs> like this, and this old man with two young naked boys. Oh, that's great. <laughs> In
0: 2007, you know, it was Super Bad and Juno, and Juno was arguably, even though Super Bad was a monster hit, I think Juno became his sort of signature movie and was really mm-hmm. well received and kind of, you know, critically acclaimed and all that. And uh, then the next year, it was Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, right. which I think a lot of people liked. I didn't, I didn't like that mm. movie at I all. I never time. saw that one. But um, it is more of the same. And then, mm-hmm. uh, Paper Heart uh, came out that year, also, or the next year, it looks like, and uh, people like that movie, but that was very much like an indie movie, so I think only a small audience saw that. And then, and then, yeah, right after that, it was Year One, it was Youth and Revolt, and then Scott Pilgrim versus the World, right. And I feel like all of those movies were either, um, uh, you know, critically they were like kind of buried or. People just didn't want to go see them. Scott Pilgrim versus the world when it came out in theaters was not a hit. No. Now it's it's pretty much universally loved uh, and appreciated and talked about as, you know, this incredible thing. And uh, I'm one of those people, like I'll talk about it all day long, about how it set up the look and feel of the modern superhero movie. And it, it does the same thing that year one, or not year one... Uh, Youth and Revolt does where it's, it's sort of, uh, you know, it's simultaneously like celebrating and skewering indie music culture. Right. Yeah. Uh, in a, like such a brilliant way. But I think people were, they were just tired of Michael Sarah's shtick. And w- for whatever reason at this time, people were watching other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but they would come back to, Scott Pilgrim, and I think soon enough, people are going to come back to *Youth and Revolt* and be like, "I hope oh, so." I oh, think,
1: I, I think it's this. I think it's a, the superior movie out of those two. Uh, and I think it's probably of his like main like. I'm not going to count like television stuff, but of his his movies that I have seen, I've seen. Uh, there's a few here I haven't, but I think it's definitely like the the high water mark for me for, of, of 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 stuff of films he's he's made.
0: Yeah, it's pretty good. Although I, w- I would disagree with you on the it being better than Scott Pilgrim, you absolute maniac! I don't know, man. I uh, the the action scenes are untouchable.
1: I have grown. I've grown to like that movie more. I've seen. I've only seen it like maybe twice. And the first time I didn't. I was just like, ah, whatever. And the second time I liked it more. But I, I'm still, as a whole movie, I'm not crazy about it. Yeah, there's a lot of cool st- stylistic things. There's a lot of good gags. I like the way, like you said, like it's celebrates and skewers at the same time. There's plenty of good pieces here. It, it doesn't gel the same way for me that this movie does.
0: I mean, that's fair. Um, I do like that both
1: movies are the main
0: character essentially is wrong. And yes, maybe not quite the villain, but but still kind of the villain You're right. of the movie, which is I think is great. That I, I think I'd say in Scott Pilgrim though one of the better aspects is the fact that he is surrounded by characters that are constantly affirming the fact that he is the villain. Right. <laughs> in almost every scene. <laughs> and he keeps getting beat up, and rightly so. hmm Not to say he was, should be getting beat up by the people he's getting beat up by, but he still deserves those beatings for various reasons.
1: hmm It's good stuff. It is, yeah. There's there. there I guess there's plenty of stuff to like in that movie. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not criticizing the movie per se. I'm when
0: just, he, when he, when they're at the club and he's like, he's like, oh my god, this is a nightmare, and it does like the superimposed like giant head like looking terrified because mm-hmm. the the two girls are about to have a conversation about him. Yeah.
1: Oh man, I die every time. Let's see here. You know, you got anything else on this? Uh, Scott Pilge. No, not Scott Pilgrim.
0: You know. <laughs> they all they all run together. Um, Nick Twisp. No, this is great. The Youth of Revolt. It's a it's a super breezy watch. Uh, I don't think it's too hard to find. Uh, I remember when the trailer came out, and I was like, "What is this movie? He's playing a French guy with a mustache, and you know, he's crashing the car, and he's bad at crashing the car. You know, he was going to drive it off a cliff and thought it would explode, and it didn't, and it didn't sink in the water either, and that's funny." Um, but I just never got around to sitting down and watching it for whatever reason. That's why I think like you were right about the timing issue. I think it came out and then quickly just got swallowed up by whatever else was out at the time. I think there was probably mm-hmm. just other things that everyone was more excited about. And uh, now we have an opportunity to go back and check it out and uh, get a few belly laughs out of it.
1: Well, also we are you know, we were texting the other day and, talking about you're sending me all these like screenshots of like these generic movie posters that had big stars in it of of movies that came out around this time yeah this is that period of time where somehow like literally every major star got tricked into being in multiple movies that were going directly to itunes or they were making their own or they were making their own and it was just like there was just so not just like the timing of, like, oh, Michael Sarah is in another movie like this. But there was just so many, like, comedies about, like... Not romantic comedies, per se, but, like, comedies around, like, somebody, like, pining over somebody. And they were just just dropping in, like, in these, like, bland movie posters and stuff. And all this just whole swirl. And just random uh, pairings of actors.
0: Yes. Like, Cillian Murphy and Lucy Liu.
1: Yeah, like, this genre of of or this particular type of genre of comedy there was just a over proliferation of them in general and most of them were just like like i said major stars and direct-to-video movies and if you watched one you'd be like man what's i'm, I'm sick you get the idea that you're th- sick of this scenario when really you're just sick of bad movies you know one more final thing i want to say on it and this is just like possibly one of my most favorite gags because of how it's not even the end result of the gag, but it's just like something that's going on in the middle is towards the end of the movie, he's going to fake his own death, right? And he like th- like takes off his clothes and his wallet and driver's license and all this stuff and throws it into the ca- a car and like drives the car up, pushes the car off a cliff, hoping that it will blow up and burn up. Um, and the gag is that the car doesn't even like catch on fire and everyone sees him standing up on top of the cliff in his underwear. But the best part for me, the best part of that gag is, is that the, the whole concept of like, like, there's so many movies where that's how someone fakes their own death is by putting their ident identification and wallet in a car and then setting the car on fire, which like, I'm aware that if a fire gets hard, hot enough, it can, and burns long enough, it can burn up bones. But at that point, wouldn't also your like, IDs be completely melted away and not there anymore? Uh, and that happens in so many movies, like like serious movies. Like Mike, that Michael Clayton movie, that happens in that movie. That's like a deadpan, not deadpan, like, but like completely serious.
0: Yeah, it's funny that, that as soon as I saw him setting that up, I was like, there's no way in hell this is going to work like you want it to. Right. But that's the, that's the fun of it. Mm-hmm. I wonder where Michael Sarah goes from not from here, but from where he's been because I think the last movie he was in was what uh this is the end, maybe.
1: I don't think that was the last movie he was in, but yeah, he definitely that maybe one of his last more like like bigger movies perhaps. Let's see here. where is he? What's he up to? And even that, that's a bigger movie, but he just has, like, a little bit part Oh, in no,
0: not even close. He was in, uh, oh, he was in uh, Entertainment, starring... Uh,
1: oh, yeah, the, the Neil Hamburger movie. Yeah, Greg, Molly's Greg Game. Turkington. Sausage Party. He, he was in the new Twin Peaks. Oh, weird. Yeah, he's been in quite a bunch of stuff and a lot of television between this.
0: Boy, this is a real... Uh, a real far cry from the the roller coaster of Halloween Kills, huh?
1: I know. Well, I mean, this is just, this movie is just so delightful. Um, that like, what can you really say about it other than like you know, there's a little bit of analysis, and then it's kind of like, and then it's like it's pleasant, it's funny, it's enjoyable. You should watch the movie. Yeah, that's you know?
0: the tough part about like praising a movie, and I get why there's so much uh, content out there about people just ripping movies apart because it's much yeah. easier to just shred something. Uh, and it, it inspires a lot more uh, excitement. Right. I guess or, and motivation. But. or
1: to defend something that ha- that has a lot of flaws but is ultimately really good. You know, I think that's easier thing to talk about too, because you can talk about the conflicts of be like, I know this part is bad, I know the acting is bad, I know the dialogue is stupid, but like take a look at like what's happening like through the backbone of this of this story. You know, or like what we're seeing on screen, the unique things we're seeing on screen it's yeah like it's 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 easier to defend like the redheaded stepchild than just to be like hey you know what billy's a really good kid and doesn't get enough attention you know (laughs) all right well this is a good movie we like it we're gonna do a different movie on the next episode
0: on the next episode of the trash heap we're gonna talk about a movie on that note (laughs) uh if you love someone burn down berkeley for them and until next time, the dumpster is closed.
1: Goodbye, everyone. That was good. Yeah. That was good. That was a good. That was, it worked. Yeah.